0: Welcome to Driving the Seabus. I'm your host, Scott McComb. I'm chairman and CEO of a little community bank in Columbus, Ohio called Heartland Bank. My travels really expose me to some very interesting people, entrepreneurs that are world-class people in their own right, but run businesses that are up and coming in the 13th largest city in the country, which is Columbus. Each one of them is is also uh, unique in their own way. Their upbringing is different. Their family life might be different. But ultimately, the one thing that holds us all together as entrepreneurs is hard work and dedication and our love of our people. So that's what we try to do here on the podcast is figure out what makes these entrepreneurs tick, what makes these areas of Columbus what they are, and how Columbus really became the place that it is today. Well, welcome back to Driving the C-Bus. I'm Scott McComb, your host, and uh, today we have a very special guest, Jessica McNamee, who is joining us. Uh, she is a Vice President Director of Financial Planning for Heartland Planning and Associates, uh, so one of, our, uh, one of our sister companies there at, uh, in the Heartland Bank and Heartland Bank Group of Companies. Um, she was born in Cincinnati. Uh, her parents were both from Maine, um, so they had a lot of family in the Northeast, uh, they relocated to Connecticut for a number of years um, and then returned to suburban Cincinnati uh, where she graduated high school. Graduated cum Kulad from uh, Ohio State and uh, the Ohio State University. She majored in economics and political science. Um, and after that, started her own practice immediately uh, following graduation, literally the next day, and spent about seven years building that practice before uh, our good folks at heartland found uh, jessica out there in the wilderness and we recruited her to come in and uh, and help drive our uh, our financial planning uh, segment Um, she's uh, currently married to colin and uh, they have a german shepherd named rika Um, so they met calling, I think, at the Ohio State University, where they were in the same club, the John Glenn Civic Leadership Council. So she does claim herself to be a nerd in that respect, which uh, which I don't think is nerdy at all. I think that's pretty cool. So um, she also serves currently on the board of the Buckeye Ranch, uh, which is another noble cause. So with that, I want to welcome Jessica to the program.
1: Hi, Scott. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, my pleasure. Well, thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Now, I kind of gave a little bit of a background there. So uh, when you went to school, so you you did you you came back to Cincinnati and then went to Ohio State. Is that right? That's so, exactly right. In Cincinnati, you have to know what high school you went to. So what high school did you go to in Cincinnati?
1: <laughs> so I graduated from Kings High School. We were in the Loveland area, um, and you can actually see Kings Island from the high school, which I just think is mean. But,
0: oh, it is but mean. nonetheless, yeah, it's, it's right there. In and-
1: <laughs> so I spent the last two years of high school after we relocated back to that area from Connecticut um, at, at King's High School. And I wasn't sure where I wanted to go to college. But as I started to look, I, I did some visits, I did a lot of research. And the more I learned, the better Ohio State looked. They had great programs for the things I was interested in. Uh, it's one of the biggest universities in the country. It's in the capital, and it's a heck of a deal when it comes to it tuition. Really is. <laughs> so, uh, so all those factors led me down that path. I decided to come to Columbus and go to Ohio State and had great opportunities in Columbus because it is the capital while I was there and ended up just falling in love with the city, and this has been home ever since.
0: And you majored in uh, economics and political science. That's correct. So, uh, what made you pick those two? Well, uh, subjects
1: I originally thought I might go to law school. I I sometimes like to joke that I got lost on my my way to law school. (laughs) Political science and economics are are traditional uh, uh, undergraduate majors for for that path. But regardless, I was interested in both. Uh, Political science was something that I was interested in first. And a lot of that, I think, had to do with the fact that I had moved during high school as I was just starting to become aware of how politics differ in different areas across the country and coming from... Connecticut to Cincinnati was a very interesting lesson in how regions of the country can can vary so much in terms of opinion. And I remember thinking, huh, how is this possible? Same set of facts, but two very different cultures and opinions around this stuff what's that about? And and that kind of led me to political science. And then while I was at the university, I very quickly realized I'd have time for another major and thought economics would be the perfect pairing because I was interested in the financial world and it, it turned out to be great. So uh, from there, you know, I, I decided um, I did want to work for a while and get some business experience before doing any additional schoolwork. So I said, all right, I'm going to pause law school or anything beyond that and, and see what I find, uh, and ended up falling in love with financial planning in the meantime.
0: That's great. Uh, you, The first company you went to work for was Northwestern Mutual Life. Is that correct?
1: That's correct, yes. Yeah,
0: and tell me about that experience. I mean, they're very a high-quality company, and they take a lot of time to to nurture their young people. Tell me about that.
1: So Northwestern Mutual was a great company to start with. Um, They have a really excellent training program for new advisors and really allows you to just jump in with both feet into the industry and start practicing. So um, it was a very quick ramp up period. And before I knew it, I had my set of business cards and uh, it was all set up to, to start meeting with clients. Now, one of the things I really appreciated about Northwestern is they had a strong culture of doing what we call joint work, meaning that not only was it encouraged, but in a lot of cases, it was re- required that the newer advisors work with the more established tenured advisors so that we could see their process and how they helped clients and have a second set of eyes on the recommendations we were making early on. And that was a really powerful thing for me. So I, I'm, I'm grateful to the folks early on in my career who spent time with me and allowed me to see their process and, and ultimately influenced who I am as a planner today.
0: Gotcha. So you said you fell in love with financial planning. So <laughs> explain that. So, And what, what do you like? What are some of the things that you like so much about it that made you want to pursue that uh, part of your career?
1: Now, I'm kind of a hybrid in that I'm analytical. I like to look at numbers. I like to analyze facts. But I also really like relationships and I like working with people. And I don't think I could ever be happy just... Being an analyst, you know, in a cube or an office all day, not talking to many other people. And and so I, I needed both I, I, of, of those things in whatever career path I chose. And when I started with Northwestern and I started meeting with clients and had a couple of opportunities early on to really see how I could make a difference in that capacity and how I could build relationships as a financial planner, um, while also Getting you know, getting that that uh, an analysis and 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 math component as well. Um, I was hooked.
0: That's great. Well, there's a difference between tell me, maybe your your uh, interpretation of what relationship is. I mean, a lot of people in in this kind of business talk talk relationship, but they really don't have a relationship with their people, right? I mean, they yeah. sometimes they are more order takers or they're you know. They, they initially do the sale and then, you know, I, I hear a lot of people say, I've, I haven't seen my financial planning person in a long time or I haven't seen my broker, you know, and the only time they call sure. me is when they're afraid I'm going to lose my account or something like that. Tell me about your version of what a relationship is.
1: Well, a relationship <clears throat> in a financial planning context really means from my perspective, understanding the client on a deep level. And that means that most of our conversations, regardless of how frequently they occur, because that's different depending on the, the specific client's needs, is to focus on what it is that they're trying to accomplish rather than any one in particular component of their plan. And so we're going to talk about the performance of their assets. We're going to talk about insurance planning and make sure that they have the right products in place to, to protect their loved ones and themselves. And we're going to talk about, you know, the, the, the various details on a regular basis as well, but all of that should be driven by what they're trying to accomplish. So it should start and end with who they are and what they want. And the rest then has to line up with that. So we kind of have to start with that mission statement of, okay, we're, where do you really want to be? Where are you trying to get either in the short term, long term, or both? And then structuring everything else within that review or conversation around that. So not only is it actually seeing your clients, which yes, <laughs> is important, <laughs> but I think what you do when you see them is also critical because if that ends up being a year or an hour or two per year, which is realistic, um, you know, we've really got to be, we've really got to be on, tar- on target in terms of what's going to be important to them.
0: Gotcha. Now the, the planning in, in general is, uh, notice we didn't say insurance. We didn't say annuities. We didn't say stocks, uh, is a combination of all these different tools, mm-hmm. right? Based on the, the story that somebody has or the goals that they want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So maybe tell me how you go about, you know, that process of, you know, how do you know where, I mean, there's all these things out there, you know, how, how do you go, uh, making the recommendation for your client?
1: That's a great question, Scott. So when I say goal, I could, I'm talking about a lot of different things. Everybody is different and they have different expectations and objectives. The most common goal that we are, we are typically discussing with our clients is retirement planning. I think just about everybody (laughs) wants the option to be able to retire at some point. And so whether it's retirement or saving for a child's education or saving for a major purchase or a new home or whatever it is that they're they're trying to accomplish, leaving a legacy, etc. We dig into that and and ask questions until we really understand exactly what they're trying to accomplish, because it's not enough to know that someone wants to retire. When do they want to retire? How much money will they need to live a comfortable lifestyle at that point? Do they want to leave a legacy and have something left at the end? What about long-term care needs if those present during that time frame? So we really dig into it and create a measurable goal from the top-line objective that the client brings up. And then we build a strategy around it. So using our financial planning software, we can assess where the person is in relation to that goal or several goals, depending on what we're working on at that time, and determine are they on track? Are they a little bit behind do they have some work to do to get on track are they ahead of the curve and if so what else could they maybe dream up to do that they didn't even think was possible before so once we understand the trajectory and where they are in relation to that objective then we can map out a strategy do they need to save more are there ways that they could be more efficient with taxes? It's not necessarily just about saving enough, but saving in the right places, too. We dig into the details and we structure our recommendations around how to most efficiently get them what they want.
0: Now that's kind of a moving target, though, right? I mean, so you know, when you have those regular meetings, uh, this is the way it is today. But after time goes along, what happens if things change? I mean, how do we pivot and go someplace else maybe you can give us a couple of examples of uh uh, of people that have pivoted in one, one way or another.
1: Certainly. So, it, yes, you're exactly right. And this is another reason why doing reviews is important because yesterday's goal isn't necessarily relevant or applicable today. So if we start and end those review conversations with, does this, do, do these goals still sound like the right goals and, and make sure that we're still doing our planning around the right objectives, Um then we can help keep that person on track because inevitably we'll have to make adjustments. Uh, one great example is simply that I, I notice along one's life trajectory, if we're lucky enough to continue to earn more throughout our career, the income goals that we identified for retirement in our early years of our career may be way too low once we get used to some of those higher incomes. And so we have to keep kind of pushing that envelope to make sure that the strategy stays in line with with where that person is or that couple is now. Uh, so that that's a change that, that we see come up all the time and we know to, to ask for, but we do our best to try and capture other changes that might have taken place or be in the process of taking place given what's going on there, on in their lives today.
0: Why does everybody want to own a winery when they, uh, <laughs> why is it that we see that all the time And the, every wealth management commercial you see on TV is, oh, you know, I, I own a ship line now, and I own my own winery, <laughs> right? Uh, I, I guess that's just marketing, so you don't have to answer that if you don't want, but I, I just thought I'd throw that out there. Now, you, you, uh, we were lucky enough to have you come and, uh, and retool Heartland Planning Associates, so, you know, at Heartland, we were at, we were in the financial management business and wealth management business for. A long time. We just weren't very good at it, to be honest with you, for a number of years uh, until we changed our model, really, to do a planning model. And uh, of course, we recruited you to come in and drive the team. And, uh, and you've built out a quality team there of ladies uh, and a gentleman, um, actually two gentlemen now, we that, have two gentlemen, uh, but yes. they're still in the minority. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and we retooled with a company called LPL Financial. Tell me why that is significant and, and what they bring to the table.
1: So LPL is our broker-dealer and all financial advisors and planners need to associate with a a broker-dealer to conduct business out in the world. So they're our platform and our conduit to the marketplace of products and services that we offer to clients. So they're a very important partner in our world. So, of course, uh, Scott, as you mentioned at the beginning, you know, my, my entire team, Heartland Planning Associates, we're we're a division of Heartland Bank. Uh, but LPL is our chosen platform for conducting this business. Now, LPL is one of the largest broker, broker dealers in the country, and they have a, a suite of tools and resources for their advisors and planners that is, is truly second to none. And so when I arrived at Heartland and I took a look around and I started talking to clients and, and getting to know folks throughout the bank... I started really trying to assess what do we need for the next phase of growth for our team and our clients, and and what, what's going to be important along that road. And as you may recall, you know we we looked at a lot of different companies. Yes, we did. And we shopped around. Um, we asked good questions. We even visited some headquarters uh, to make sure that. Whoever we decided to partner with was going to be the right choice for the foreseeable future. And, and you know, this is not a change we, we want to make very often because it is it, it's time consuming and it's disruptive for us and our clients. So we wanted to make sure we got that right. And uh, after looking around, it became very clear that LPL is going to be the right partner for us. Um, you know, I'm continuously impressed by the tools and resources they they bring to the table for us, and I, I can give you a couple examples. You know, something that we didn't have at our previous broker dealer was a financial planning team in house at the broker dealer. So, it, this is a team of CFP professionals and, and and professionals with other important designations that we can call into, and they can help us. Brainstorm for a client, second guess or, sec- or give us a, a double check on our our recommendations. Um, they can jump into our planning software and see what we're illustrating for a client and give us feedback on that. And so it's like having a board of directors that we can call up at any any time of the business day to say, "Hey, I need a second set of eyes, or I need some guidance here." And and so that makes us stronger as a team. So not only do we have six fantastic people on our team right now, and we have conversations about planning and the right things for clients and new products when they present and, and things like that but it's so wonderful to have some internal resources as well that are always on call because we we run, we run a tight ship we're all pretty busy I don't know that I'll be able to grab a colleague when, uh, right at the moment when I need them so to have this team is just fantastic so LPL' has been been a great supporter of, of us and and we appreciate their partnership
0: yeah not to mention they have all the bells and whistles and support and latest technology one of the other things that we do uh, uh, every year is our economic forum, and it's mm-hmm. sponsored by Heartland Planning Associates. And we are lucky enough to have people like Ryan Dietrich um, uh, from LPL come in mm-hmm. and talk. Matter of fact, the this morning, this will be a little dated, but this morning Ryan was on CNBC. You know, uh, mm-hmm. at six. Thirteen in the morning, and I got up especially to watch him. Um, but he comes in and talks about strategy and how uh, the political environment uh, is affecting uh, the economy and just what you know, what other uh, the, the global situations and mm-hmm. uh, and all of that. So having resources like that as well helps, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely, and I truly believe that. We have the best of both worlds here at Heartland Planning Associates because, you know, we get to be members of this great community-focused organization uh, and still bring world-class tools and resources to the table for our clients via LPL. And and we also can work with clients beyond central Ohio. So, so we have clients literally all across the country, California, Florida, Michigan, and others.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter where you're... Your person is, it matters uh, who your person is, right? It doesn't matter where they are, Matter matters who they are exactly. and what they do and yeah. what their philosophy is. That's wonderful. Hey, jumping into the product suite just a little bit, you know, one of the things as we have an age, I found out the other day, I was listening to a speaker and he said that I have a 50-50 shot of living to 100. And I thought, oh my. <laughs> <You> know,
1: <laughs> it's eye-opening, that, isn't it? <laughs> that brings
0: up so many things. and with, uh, I mean, I, I think it has a... Uh, it has a connotation on the advent of medicine, right, and modern drugs and uh, and possibly, we some may not think this, but a healthier environment that we're living in because I think the environment is changing a little bit for the positive. Um, um, and it's not getting any warmer here in Columbus today. But at the same time, uh, w- tell me what might be, um, you know, some of the uh, things people should be thinking about when you have that kind of time horizon in front of you
1: and and Scott you bring up a great point because most people are just not prepared for that potential reality um As a default, when we're doing our plan projections, I I joke with clients. Look, I got to kill you off at some point, you know. When we're doing this projection, so (laughs) we 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 have a scenario. Nothing personal, but we got to pick pick an end date, right? So or the spouse, you pick a date, right? (laughs) (laughs) So we we like to have fun where we can, right? Um, But no, we we've got to have a conversation about longevity, and I like to start by asking clients or potential clients about their family history, and you know, do they have family members who have reached 90, 95, 100, or beyond, and we talk a little bit about that because that is a consideration. Now, my default for a long time in terms of that that projection end date <laughs> was 95. Um, I, In recent years, I've actually bumped that out to 100, and depending on what the client tells me, we make adjustments to that, but I don't really like adjusting it downward because we just don't know. And I would rather help somebody over plan than under plan any day of the week. But the reality of that means that if we, you know, 65 is still kind of thought of, I think, is the, the average retirement date. Um, and, and, it's actually and, dropped from
0: it, there, hasn't it? it? I think it's gone lower.
1: I've seen some different numbers on that. Um, I still think most people relate to the age of 65 pretty, uh, pretty intensely. It's and the so, new
0: 39. I right, know.
1: right? So, And it is if we're going to be hitting 100, right? So that's if we retire at 65, let's say that we worked maybe seriously and really saved from 30 to 65. That's a 35-year period. Well, if we live to 100, That is 35 years as well that we're going to have to fund using what we built over the previous 35 years. That's quite the undertaking. And it takes discipline and it takes hard work, not just leading up to retirement, but in retirement to continue to be realistic about spending um and and you know pay attention to the assets and make sure that they have a good relationship with somebody that can help offer guidance because it's not just about what's happening in their lives but also about what's happening in the world and and so it is to some extent a different ball game to plan for a retirement of that that length but we're on it
0: well and also you know i mean we are we're sitting here today um 11 years from the last time that we had a recession in america that we have a generation of young people in the workforce that have never had a bad year uh we have um a global actually a national economy that's never been stronger than it currently is however all those things said you you also have to plan for some bumps in the road whether that's with your health or whether that's with your investments or what have you. You can't assume six percent growth every year and that kind of thing, right? So tell me maybe some of those perils that uh, that you see out there and maybe some ways to, to mitigate some of that risk.
1: Absolutely. So um, it's it's not enough to just use averages um, and and say that, okay, you know if we get six percent as an average rate of return, our portfolio is going to be plenty big to fund our lifestyle indefinitely because as an average, that means some of those years will be higher and some of those years will be a lot lower. And I've seen some great studies done about the impact of withdrawing money from one's portfolio during those years that are very negative. And so what we try to do for our clients is insulate them using a diverse uh, grouping of strategies. So, That might include having, you know, sufficient cash assets, which generally I recommend, you know, clients keep a little bit more safe money uh, when they're funding their own lifestyle in the retirement years, Um, cash assets. Various kinds of market assets. Maybe we vary risk across a couple of different kinds of accounts. So maybe we have some dollars that are a little higher risk for some higher return. Maybe we have some dollars that are a little more stable and lower risk for, uh, you know, lower return. But again, more stability and, and just as an option, uh, when, when markets are down. Maybe we also use some other uh, risk mitigation products like annuities to create a guaranteed income stream that could supplement any Social Security or other pension assets that one has. Um, We may also use other kinds of vehicles that have cash values available for distribution, like a cash value life insurance policy. If we have other pots that we can go to when the market is down to try to avoid selling at all or as much as we might have in a really good year uh, while the market is, is is really down like in a 2008 or another res- kind of recessionary year. Um- we have choices we can navigate those waters if planning isn't done to ensure that we have diversity not just in the kinds of investments we have but in the kinds of money that we have then you know we we might just be stuck doing what we have to do but we try to create strategies that leave i like to say leave windows open you know so so we have options no matter what the world is going to throw at us
0: yeah so uh, you know 60 60- percent equities, 40% bonds, and keeping it just that simple probably is not today's modern way of, of uh, managing your affairs, right, for the future.
1: That's correct. Now, that may be right for some, but it, mu- it it's probably not right for everybody. And so developing a custom strategy based on the goals, the amount that, that one has in assets, um, and their tolerance for risk is really important.
0: So if we had five minutes on a street corner uh, to talk to somebody about their financial plan or, or handling their financial affairs, on a, just on the most basic level, what would, what would be the three pieces of advice uh, that you could give uh, John or Jane Doe on the corner out here at uh, State and High?
1: Whew, that's a doozy. So just condensing <laughs> down into 3. All right, three main pieces. I would say number 1 has to has to be save early and save often. Um it, it, yeah, there's well, just, I mean, just a you
0: can put a, well, you can put away, uh, if you start putting away, I think with a uh, 529 plan, for instance, if you start when your child's born and you put away, I, th- I thought it was, uh, I don't know, it was $125 a quarter or something like that, you can actually end up with, by the time they be 18 and going to college, you can have enough to pay for college.
1: It could, yeah. Depending I mean, on, on what simple, college the you know, so you know, the kids going to, instead of buying a little
0: tyke's uh, kitchen, yep, uh, take that money and put it, in, give them a a paper bag to play with when they're uh, one year old, and and uh, and put that one hundred twenty five dollars into their five twenty nine plan. I think they'll say uh, they'll be much more grateful for you down the road. You know, My
1: kids don't know the difference now. Just- <laughs> well,
0: they play with the paper bag anyway. You
1: know? So so you you bring up an interesting point. You know, saving doesn't have to be, you know done in one particular way i've seen a lot of of parents going along this 529 example get creative with it and and say when they're having birthday parties hey you know little johnny's got plenty of toys if you'd like to bring a gift a contribution to his 529 would be much appreciated nothing wrong with that. And, and so you know it doesn't always have to be painful. Um, look for those fun little opportunities to say, okay, I'm going to just put some of this away. Uh, but saving early and saving often, it is so much easier if you start early, even if it's at a very small amount. The number one question that I get when I first reach out to somebody to, to offer them the opportunity to meet and, and talk uh, is, I don't, know, I don't know that I have enough to meet with you. And, yeah, and and that's just
0: so far off the beaten path
1: and that's what i tell you you, know, you
0: don't have enough not to meet with me
1: that's not what this is about <laughs> that's right it, it's it's not about how much you have it's about what you want to accomplish and and what you'd be willing to do from this point on to get there
0: right so and, save and early save yeah, early save early, so what, what often would be the, second one?
1: Um, the second piece of advice that i would give is um, take risk management seriously um I've seen studies, and I'm not going to misquote one right now, but I've, I've seen studies that are, uh, always surprise me about how many people in this country would buy more life insurance if somebody asked them to do it. Because I sit down with a lot of people, and when we do that fact-finding meeting and I, I dig into some of these different topics, I oftentimes learn, hey, I've been thinking about getting more insurance for years, and I just haven't done it. Take that seriously. We never know what's right around the corner. Not to mention the fact that if if we do if we take those risk management steps early on it is way cheaper. <laughs> so, so way, uh, way cheaper. cheaper. So addressing that early in the planning process and, and, is, and is and
0: not impossible.
1: It, yeah. It's not you Im- get above exactly. a certain
0: age, you might not be able to be insured depending on what your financial or your health condition
1: One is. can get declined for health reasons. And so generally the, the three areas of risk management that are uh, insurance planning that we're talking to clients about, uh, include life insurance, long-term care insurance and disability insurance. And and so those are our three, but you also need good property casualty insurance and you need a trusted you know insurance provider that can discuss that with you and customize something to your needs. And you need an emergency fund of cash. And I consider that to be part of the, the, the risk management process as well. So take risk management seriously. It's not the most sexy part of what we do and no one's really excited to talk about it, but it's super important. I would say the third piece of advice is, Try talking to somebody. If you haven't already or you haven't seen your advisor, you mentioned at the beginning you hear a lot of people say, oh, I haven't seen my advisor in years. Hey, if that's the case, go in there and talk to that person or talk to somebody new and and see how it goes. But, But get a second professional set of eyes on whatever strategy you've developed for yourself and your family and see what they have to say. And, and chances are you'll probably walk away from that conversation, learning something, if not maybe deciding to work with that individual or someone else. Um, but it's, it's not a huge time commitment. And generally speaking, um, you know, we were able to make some recommendations that, that at the end of that process, people say, wow, this is significant.
0: Now tell me a little bit about your team, uh, at HPA and, uh, and how you built them out and, and and kind of what milestones you guys are setting.
1: So, uh, we have a team of six. Uh, we have four uh, advisors and two members of our support staff. So, our, our advisors uh, include Corey Manis, Elisa Edmondson, and Steve Rogers. And our support staff team members are William Scales and Vanessa Bay. So... Uh, the advisors and myself included, um, we are face to face with clients most of the day. So we are, are doing reviews. We're meeting with new potential clients. Um, you know, we're analyzing our clients, portfolios, preparing recommendations, um, putting together plans and other, other kinds of analyses. We are focused on planning specifically, all day every day. <laughs> and then our, our our support staff members Vanessa and William are are there to make sure that there's somebody there to answer the phone when clients call in because that's so important. And if I'm in a meeting, I want to make sure that somebody can speak to that person. If they have and a question. Exactly. Or, yep. Either get them a quick answer or, you know, make sure that, you know, whatever they need gets on my radar as quickly as possible. So uh, Vanessa and William ensure that there's, there's always somebody there to answer the phone, um, answer those questions, schedule a meeting, um, you know, research an issue. Uh, and they also help with our internal processes um, when it comes to you know processing applications and and helping clients get through that insurance underwriting process I mentioned earlier. Uh, so so we' we've got a pretty good thing going. Um, I, it, they're uh, they're all wonderful people, and uh, we're really having some fun growing the team.
0: that's awesome. Any final thoughts?
1: Well, I, uh, I I've had fun doing it. This was, uh, uh, you know, I would say this was easier than I thought it would be. <laughs> 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 and uh, that that's uh, it says a lot about uh, Scott your your ability to just have good conversations with people. So yeah, thank you for bringing me on.
0: Well, my pleasure. Well, thanks for coming out and driving the bus. Remember, start early, manage your risk seriously, and uh, get on with it. Just go ahead and sit down and meet with somebody. If you need a second set of eyes. Uh, they're obviously here for you here at Heartland Planning Associates. So Jessica McNamee uh, with Heartland Planning, thanks very much for coming on and driving the bus.
1: Thank you, Scott.